0: Welcome to the LEMPA Report Live. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Now we're in the midst of Hanukkah, and then on to Christmas, Kwanzaa, and New Year. Are you ready? They're coming quick. On today's episode, we talk CVS, Dollar Tree, Walmart, and how our diets are affecting the environment and how we age. Our LEMPA Report is focused on yet another twist to the supply chain. And on Bullseye, it's all about yet another brand that lost its way. We would love for you to add your insights during the broadcast in the chat, and we'll take those at the end of the broadcast. We bring you our unique insights on grocery, retail, sustainability, e-commerce, new product reviews, and consumer trends. Sally, what's up and what are the issues to discuss this week? Hi, Phil.
1: CBS is pulling some greeting cards from their shelves um, in response to PETA requesting that they do this. Um, they're going to take off all the cards that have um the great apes or chimpanzees, um, dressed up in cute costumes or drinking a beer. You've seen these cards in the store that, um, are cute and funny, but PETA feels like it's misleading to consumers and it's sending a message that these chim- chimpanzees, the species is doing well, and they're not, they're actually an endangered species.
0: So you know when I read this um and I understand Peter's position um I I also happen to love those gorilla and chimp cards I mm-hmm. think they're great um and and I think that there's a compromise here that nobody's talking about what about for every card that has either a chimp or a gorilla or whatever endangered species are, not just limited to to those two species, um, why don't they, you know, give back 10 percent of the profit to World Wildlife Fund to be able to help them versus just eliminating the cards? You know, you're sweeping it under the carpet. Why not use this? Because they're just so popular to raise money to help them.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And the World Wildlife Fund, I know my son has received um, images from friends as gifts before of of animals that are endangered and the money went to the World Wildlife Fund. So I think that's a great idea. And if consumers knew that, then uh, maybe they would feel better about buying those cards at CVS.
0: Yeah. And I don't even think consumers you know, uh, care. I think it's PETA. So mm-hmm. let's raise some money for PETA and all these other groups by by selling these cards. I think that just makes a lot more sense. And by the way, I don't know if you saw it, but last week on 60 Minutes was a terrific story about apes in, I think it was in Zimbabwe, um, and how they've been able to turn that um, they were down to maybe 200 And now what they're doing is they're up to, I think, 650 um, of them. And um, as a result, it's turned a profit for that area because it's now a big tourist thing. Um, They're not in a zoo. They're just still in the wildlife and so on. So nobody should be concerned. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now a lot of tourists are coming to see them. um, And it's brought... I forgot how many millions of dollars, but I want to say 10 or 20 million dollars to that region, which is now funding schools and farms and everything else. So, you know, that that's what gave me the idea is let's use these cards to raise money. Let's not eliminate them.
1: That's fantastic.
0: So what else we got?
1: Well, Phil, Dollar Tree is ditching uh, dollar items. Uh, they have seen their, their profit margin fall um, from what is typically 35 percent to 30 percent. So as a response, you know, you know, for so long, they have been this store that has promoted the fact that they have a fixed price. But they are going to have to change that now. And they're also going to be raising prices by about 25 percent on the majority of its products.
0: So we're going to see their name change from Dollar Tree to Dollar and Twenty Five Cent Tree.
1: <laughs> well, I wonder what sort of conversation is is happening with that myself. Yeah, and
0: <laughs> also, re-branding. yeah, and and also, to be honest with you, since they bought Family Dollar, they've been in trouble. Uh, but you know, their profit margin is thirty five percent that's much higher than the traditional supermarket is. So I understand what they're doing, but I think they're also gonna lose a lot of customers. Um, as they do it, even though it's only 25 percent, even only it's a quarter, um, I still think that their image for the past 35 years of being, you know, a dollar or under mm. um, is, is going to hurt. So it'll be interesting to see because the other uh, the other stores, um, you know, uh, dollar store and so on, um, they've been selling things for over a dollar for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Dollar Tree, you know, keeps on saying just a dollar, just a dollar, and maybe had they raised prices more gradually, they would get a lot less PR and turn off a lot less people. So, you know, I understand that um, my diet contributes more to climate change than your diet does. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) Well, we're seeing some studies coming out of the UK showing that men are actually eating a lot more meat than women. And I don't know if that's necessarily surprising, being that I think maybe men just eat more food than women. Um, but, But what we're finding is that that their meat-heavy diets are causing 40% more climate emissions than women's do.
0: And it goes beyond just meat, uh, that men are eating or consuming more coffee, alcohol, and cake. And all of those are contributors as well. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I, I guess for me, does this help? Does it help men have a better diet. Those those men who are concerned about the environment, is this a wake up call that says eat healthier? And what what I also love about this study, uh, part two of the study, looked at. Um, Western countries and found that vegan and vegetarian diets were about a third less expensive to buy than typical diets. Um, So, you know, when we keep on hearing that going plant based or going vegan or eating more fruits and vegetables is more expensive, this study proves that it's not. It compared seven sustainable diets to the current typical diet in 150 countries using food prices from the World Bank. And it found that in high income countries like the US, vegan diets were the most affordable, reducing food costs by 21 to 34 percent. And then vegetarians were a close second, with 27 to 31 percent reduction in cost. Flexitarian, that has low amounts of meat and dairy, reduced costs by 14 percent. But which surprised me. A fish-based pescatarian diet actually increased cost by 2%. Now, what we don't know is whether or not the fish-based diet was based on the price of fresh fish from that fresh fish counter or frozen fish, Mm -hmm. because what we know is frozen fish is about 30 to 40% less expensive. So Mm -hmm. I think if you buy fish in the frozen food case, you would still see a reduction.
1: Agreed. And and what I I I'm with you on what was most interesting about this study. I think it think it is great to see that you know you can eat less meat and save money, but also um, that the message is not necessarily stop eating meat. But there are these other items as well: dairy, alcohol, um, you know, processed foods, these cakes and confectionery. The, the, these items also are what, things that we could look at rather than we can't eat meat. You know we can look at other areas of changing our diets as well,
0: yeah, and I would also you know and, and again, we don't have the full study, so mm-hmm. it's hard to to comment. but you know um i would I would love to see a comparison made of the uh, climate impact of, for example, a cake uh, factory, um you know. Mm-hmm what what the carbon impact is of making ringdings and snowballs and Twinkies uh, versus other kinds of factories, because there, there are so highly processed foods, I would expect, and I don't know this for sure, but I would expect that they emit more um, stuff into the air from their factories than if you just had a meatpacking plant, mm-hmm. uh, which which really isn't. You know creating that much um, of a disaster but we'll find out and any of our viewers please if you know uh, feel free to add that kind of information into the comment uh box and we will take it at the end of the episode so sally walmart's doing something cool
1: walmart is doing something cool and you know kind of kind of unbelievable and and seems unrealistic But they they're now using uh, drones and zip these zipline planes at uh, three particular stores in one region um, to deliver items like diapers. Um, There are smaller items available like tuna. Um, I think ramen was on the list of things you could get. Like it depends. It all kind of depends on what the weight adds up to. So as you're ordering, you're also adding up the weight of the items that you're getting, because they're actually going to you know, take this drone to your house and lower this cable with your box of items into your yard
0: so they're really doing two things one is you know the box lowered by a cable huh. into your yard and the other one is with the zip line which actually is a plane um that they can go 50 miles the, mm-hmm. the zip line is only a mile radius from the store the yes. zip line can go over 50 miles and what they do and this i just don't get um, and I'm not um, a pilot or an aerodynamic um, expert or a physicist. What they're doing is they're dropping your box of goods by parachute. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we've all seen the commercials from Amazon and everybody else saying at holiday time, you know, make sure, you know, th- that we don't leave a box on your doorstep because people are going to, you know, steal it. So if I look up in the sky and I see a parachute – coming down with a box, and we know if there's winds, the parachute might not make it directly to my house. Mm -hmm. Isn't there the opportunity for people to run and see the parachute, you know, and grab the box before the person who ordered it actually did? It seems
1: like so many things could happen. What if it goes into your pool,
0: you know, or lands on your roof? you know? Yeah, what if or it gets it caught in, in a
1: tree? I mean it d- it does seem like so many things could go wrong but I'm sure that there are some there's some interesting technology applied to it.
0: I guess I I can only hope but I'm not going to order anything by parachute. <laughs> what else we got? <laughs>
1: Well, today we're thinking about uh, diets, a lot of us, because we're coming towards the end of the year and people start really turning to thinking about their health and how they can improve it for the new year. One thing that has been really um really popular in the past year or so is, um, diets that, um, increase your lifespan, um, these anti-aging diets, but the problem with a lot of these diets, which a lot of them are, are including some sort of fasting, whether it's intermittent fasting or, um, fasting mimicking, which is an, which is where you don't completely fast, but you just eat certain nutrients that enable your body to mimic fasting. But the problem with these diets is that there's not a lot of science or evidence to back up um, the fact that they actually do what they're promoted for.
0: And most of the studies, if not all the studies, have been done on rodents Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I know we love using rodents to test all kinds of things on, but that's still not a human being. And if we look at the science to your point, basically, if you want to live a longer life, eat less, eat less calories. Um, it doesn't make a difference what you're eating, but if your BMI is in check, um, if you're at the proper weight, you will live longer and healthier and better yeah
1: if you are using the same amount of energy that you are putting into your body then um that seems to be unanimous across the board that that is that is um that is eating well and taking care of your body well
0: and we have to remember that as we're going into the holidays, yeah. even though we just finished thanksgiving but i was i don't know about you, but I was good on thanksgiving I did not overeat on Thanksgiving. <sighs>
1: Well, we didn't really either. We had so we had less leftovers than we normally do, but I think that we um, that my mother in law, you know, she bought a smaller turkey because that's all she could get this year, and so, yep. you know, it was it worked out fine.
0: That's great. Well, thanks, Sally. Thank you. Today on the LEMPA Report, it's a supply chain stupid. On November 29th, the Federal Trade Commission launched its inquiry into supply chain disruptions. They've ordered retailers, including Walmart, Amazon and Kroger, to turn over information to help them study the causes of high prices and empty shelves. But they've also included, for what I think is the first time, wholesalers and brands, including P&G, Tyson and Kraft Heinz. I applaud that for what could be that they're taking a much more holistic view versus just looking at one particular industry such as meatpacking. But there are two groups that I wish were also around the table. Smaller manufacturers who have been devastated along with farmers and ranchers who are faced with the inability to get their products to market. As we've discussed before, there are three major issues that we all and the FTC need to address climate change, the labor shortage and transportation. One underlying problem that Business Insider points out is that the US food supply relies heavily on foreign workers. Here are the facts. Food-related industries historically rely on low-wage immigrant labor and now facing shortages that labor pool is also shrinking as foreign born workers seek opportunities in other industries. If immigration maintained its 2016 levels, the U.S. would have 2 million more people today. Global supply chain problems are intrinsically tied to labor issues, but the U.S. food supply chain is facing a particular labor shortage that has deepened over the past five years, foreign born workers. No question, with all the publicity and threats, immigration declined under the presidency of Donald Trump. Given the 75 percent labor force participation rate of foreign born residents, that works out to 1.5 million fewer workers available to fill those 10 million open jobs in the economy today. And as a lot of you know very well, a lot of these open jobs are in food related industries, including agriculture, processing, retail, food service and other services that have a history of relying on these low wage immigrant laborers, including undocumented workers. Many of these undocumented workers, in particular at restaurants that have shut down, says Business Insider, lost their jobs, while those who continued to work were in frontline positions where they were more likely to be infected, such as in meat processing plants with documented large outbreaks. A USDA study finds that as many as half of hired laborers in crop agriculture did not have the immigration status needed to work legally here in the U.S. Undocumented workers make up about 10 percent of the restaurant industry and as much as 40 percent in some urban centers, according to Eater, mostly concentrated in back of house roles. For the FTC and the White House to understand and to solve these issues, they must bring everyone to the table, not just the big guys. Yesterday, I had the privilege to interview my first Nobel Prize winner. Governor David Beasley, who's now the executive director of the UN's World Food Program and is challenging the likes of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to step up and help save millions of lives around the world. He wants them to donate just 3% of their income. He's going after those 11 people who will have over a trillion dollars worth of net worth. Next Thursday, he'll be in Oslo, Norway to accept his prize. And address the Nobel Peace Prize forum. Visit USFRA's Facebook page and website to watch the entire conversation and understand just what a serious problem we all have and its consequence and its consequences for us all. And also the way you're describing the right way when we look at agriculture is also giving people the tools to have a life. It's not just giving them a box of food once, but they're going to have food for the rest of their lives. So what do we collectively need to do to raise awareness of the importance of the next 30 harvests and why this decade matters now in agriculture?
2: Uh, This decade matters big time. Uh, when we look at the future and the numbers, uh, everybody should be alarmed. But unfortunately, the media is not balancing that display of information out there like it should. Uh, but we've, we've got an opportunity. When you look at the just in the United States alone, the agricultural expertise with the farmers and ranchers uh, that care about the earth, that care about the planet, care about the children, and the more productive we can be, and then take those best practices and put them in places in Africa and the rest of the world, there's no reason we can't end hunger. Quite frankly, you know the the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, like number two, end world hunger uh, by 2030, that really is is doable. But with man-made conflict and all the things we're facing, we're going in the wrong direction. And as I tell the United Nations and I tell others, I said, look, you're not going to solve this problem through government alone, through the United Nations and through charity. It's got to be the private sector. We have got to get the American farmer, the ranchers, and have them engaged not just better in strategic farming in the United States, but hey, help us in these countries to end hunger and change the way agriculture is done. And there's no reason, for example, Africa should feed, I mean, the whole world, but Africa for certain should be feeding Africa. And there's no reason for that not to be happening. And this is where I think the taxpayers and particularly the farmers and ranchers in America who get it, they understand it. they know what we're talking about. They know what the beauty and the of our planet's all about and how it can produce and we can do it in such a way that's good for everybody. And so I've got to have the engagement of the, of the American farmer. It's critical.
0: and now it's time for the bull'seye. I just love brilliant marketing ideas. I respect them. And in many cases, they make me jealous that I wasn't the one who thought of them. And then there are those that make me shudder. Remember in the early 2000s when Heinz came up with their green ketchup? It was an overnight sensation and bumped up sales. But the brand was greedy. So they introduced blue, then purple, ketchups, which floundered. After all, how much ketchup does one family need? And even the kids bugging their moms to buy it is not gonna solve the problem. No question that kids just love brightly colored everything, including foods. But then as a last resort, a brand manager decided to try one more idea, a mystery bottle where you had no idea what color the ketchup was. It could be orange, it could be teal or even purple. This brand manager, I suppose, just didn't realize that parents were becoming more concerned about artificial colors, especially those that looked like that they could glow in the dark. And these products proved to be a disaster, not on the shelves anymore. Turkey Hill, in my opinion, is one of the best ice creams on the market, and they've decided to follow the Heinz debacle or maybe They just hired that brand manager. Who knows? But starting in January, their limited edition mystery flavor is hitting supermarket shelves. They're also running a contest for what they call Flavor Detectives to win free ice cream for life. Hey, I would love that. The contest launches on December 31st and runs through March 14th. Wait a minute. If I can go to my supermarket and buy the mystery flavor starting in January, how much of a flavor detective do I really need to be? I don't get it. If the flavor is that obscure that after trying it I can't figure it out, and the real question in today's world of scores of ice cream flavors from the likes of Ben and Jerry's and Häagen-Dazs, with consumers being more particular about their foods than ever before, and more kids with food allergies, why would they buy a mystery flavor? Doesn't make sense. Now, the package image that they sent me does not proclaim no artificial colors, no artificial ingredients, and didn't contain an ingredient or nutritional facts panel. The most shocking revelation is that they're calling it frozen dairy dessert. So it isn't even ice cream. I don't know about you, but I'll stick to a flavor that I enjoy and that I know what's inside the carton. What about you? Would you buy it? sally let's head to the questions
1: well today we don't have any questions phil but we do have some great comments from john pandal who always makes me laugh a little bit every week so i think we should share them okay Uh, (laughs) first off he says dollar stores go the way of the five and dime so tough to find penny candy these days yep And um, he says, wait, if I have a radio beacon on the roof that guides in the drone drop, the porch pirates would have to steal my ladder to get the package, right?
0: (laughs) But John, how are you going to go up on the roof to get it? (laughs) You're going to need that ladder too.
1: And and then he says in my favorite comment of his for the day, shamed for laughing at gorilla greeting cards and man-sized steaks are a threat to the planet. This and more in every edition of the Daily Scold woke journalism at its best.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, John, I I agree with you. But also back to your point about the penny candy. Um, I'm going to share with you a very personal story, which is very sad. So as a kid, um, what happened is and you might have done the same thing. And Sally, you're probably too young to have done it. But we had these blue books um, that you would collect pennies in and it was by year so i i was very diligent about it and i had practically i think there were two or three books depending on the years um and i had practically filled them all up with all my pennies and then one day i really got yearning for penny candy so what i did like an idiot is I took all the pennies that I had collected for years and I went down to Tony's candy store, which was about two blocks away, and I bought penny candy with all my pennies that were probably worth 10 times uh, what they were as a penny. So very, very sad story. Oh, no. Oh, no. So thank you for visiting us today, John and everybody else. And remember to go to Supermarket Guru and sign up for our newsletters. And also feel free during the week to add your comments to our Facebook, to our Twitter, to our LinkedIn. And until next week, we'll see you here again Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern for more of The Lemp Report Live.